hello and welcome back into a new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Your home for all kinds of sports content all across all podcast platforms. There's football podcasts, baseball, there's a ton of NBA content, whether it's Lakers Film Room or the Light Years Pod or the Chase Down Pod, whatever it may be, there is a ton of content for the Blue Wire Podcast group. Uh, as you guys know, I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, and we are going to get into the Denver Nuggets' sixth straight win tonight. They just got done beating the Washington Wizards 117-114, to and honestly, that score is not very symbolic of how well the Nuggets played tonight. They pretty much handled the Wizards all the way throughout this game. They won the first quarter and the second quarter, and then tied in the third before eventually allowing the Wizards to get a little bit of a... Um, just winning a fourth quarter, mostly because Davis Burton started turning into Damian Lillard and pulling up from 35 feet. So overall, if you remove the fact that there was this that outlier fourth quarter, this was a dominating performance from the Nuggets once again. So, let's look at the macro scale real quick. Like I said, this is the sixth straight win of the season for the Denver Nuggets. This is their longest winning streak of the year. They are now 10-1 and in the month of November. This is their first win with 10-plus wins since 2013 or since the 2013-14 season. Additionally, they are 13-3 in their first six games, or the first 16 games of the year. They're the second seed in the Western Conference, and this is tied for the best start in franchise history for the for the Denver Nuggets. If they win one more game, it will eclipse the best start in franchise history. So overall, this Nuggets team, man, they just continually peel off win after win after win, and we'll get to this in the future, or later on in the podcast, they're going to be challenged coming up. Um, but still, they finished their homestand 4-0, which was a great mark. They beat the Rockets, they beat the Wizards, they beat the Celtics, and they beat, oh, who am I forgetting? I don't remember. I, I'm very tired. It's midnight and I'm failing miserably. But still, overall, a very, very good four-game homestand to build up a lot of confidence, get their offense back in gear, finally get their bench unit playing better. The defense has stayed right where it is. And the Nuggets have a confidence at the Pep Center once again. So overall, it's hard to find fault with this win. Uh, Michael Malone still managed to find some fault with the win. I will talk about that later. But overall, it was very good to see the Nuggets play this way. The only player in this game who was a negative and plus minus was Malik Beasley, um, who was a minus two. So overall, the bench unit played strong. The starters played strong. The defense was strong. The offense was strong. They got out in transition. They attacked the paint. They were able to out-rebound and outwork them. This was arguably the most complete game of the 2019 20 season for the Denver Nuggets. So we're going to get into all of that stuff. We're going to end up getting into a mailbag. I failed at getting a podcast up after the last game, so I'm going to go back and answer those questions that were sent through. I believe I have like eight of them or something. So we'll answer those questions, and then I really want to look ahead at what the Nuggets have coming up, because they have a tough stretch of their season coming up. They're going to play five of their next six games on the road. Their one home game is going to be against the Lakers, and we're really going to learn a lot about this Nuggets team in those next six games. So it's going to be a fun show. There is a ton to talk about. Uh, but before I take my first break, I need to give some love to the Regulators Production Group. They are the ones who made the beats on the intro and outro of this podcast. Without them, 
all you would hear is me talking about advertisement sales and my voice talking about the Nuggets. At least you get some beats and some happiness that are that is just not my voice in this podcast, which is a very nice benefit, and I wouldn't be able to do that without the help of the Regulators Production Group. Make sure to go follow them at Regulators Regime on Instagram and reach out to them for any of your audio production needs. They are the best, so definitely go check them out. Um, but before we go any further, let me, let me take our first break, and we will come back and get into this game. Before we get into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, let me give you one quick word from our sponsors over at Terrapin Care Station. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. So the Nuggets, again, they won 117-104 tonight, 6th straight win, 4-0 on their homestand, 13-3 to start the season, tying the franchise best start um, for the Nuggets ever, and on top of that, they are just rolling along, 10-1 in November, really winning a lot of games, and they're doing it in a way that most people did not expect, which is defensively. So make sure you go back to milehighsports.com and look at my article about how the Nuggets' defense has become their identity, because I do feel like that has really played out over the, over the stretch of the season, but still. Let's talk about this game. And the place I want to start is with Will Barton, who, in my opinion, had the best game of any nugget tonight. Yes, Jeremy Grant was awesome. I will not, I'm going to talk about him extensively in this podcast. But Will Barton, in particular, he is the tone setter for this Nuggets team. He's told me that. He's told a lot of other people that multiple different times. And. This was, again, exactly that type of game. He came out in the first quarter, and it was funny. He had two quick turnovers. I was talking to Will Barton after the game one-on-one, and what he told me was like, yeah, I was really trying to get downhill and make passes to the bigs once I got deep after a pick-and-roll. So these are late reads after he is already in the paint, getting towards the restricted circle, trying to draw defenders to put drop-off passes for the bigs to get them going. So Will Barton's whole thought process to start this game was not, I'm going to get mine. It was not anything like that. It was, I am going to set the tone by getting our best player his best possible looks. Unfortunately, Will Barton had two turnovers to start the game, and he spoke about that. He told me when he was coming downhill as a pick-and-roll read, back-to-back times he made that turnover, and from that point forward, he only had one charge that was a turnover, as he completely eliminated it. And that was a very revealing moment for 
uh, where Will Barton is at mentally. He is not trying to do too much, and he is fully grasping the small details of what is happening around him. Will Barton gets labeled as a hyper-athletic player who kind of relies on that burst to do what he does, and what really gets overlooked about Will Barton is his mental ability to see what's happening in front of him and make decisions and adapt accordingly. So after he had those two turnovers, he then, from that point forward, was absolutely shredding this Washington Wizards defense in the pick and roll. He was making every pass you can think of with both hands at any given point on the floor, regardless of what the time and circumstances were of the game. He was a surgeon in this game. He ended up finishing with 17 points, but eight assists, eight turnovers, and again, those three turnovers, which two of which happened in the very beginning of the of the first quarter. So Will Barton, in my opinion, was the best player in this game, and it's really representative of what he has been able to do for this Nuggets team ever since he came back from that toe inflammation, weird little health scare that he had earlier in the season. So ever since that point, and I've talked about this before, having Will Barton's offensive arsenal on the court with the rest of the starters has opened up so many more opportunities for the rest of his teammates. The one thing I have not talked about is how willing Will Barton has been to be a role player in this offense. When I talk to him again after the game, actually what I'll do is I'm going to put the like two and a half minutes of my exclusive with Will Barton at the end of this section about Will Barton so you can hear what I'm talking about, but Will Barton told me, he was like, listen, I'm a role player. He knows exactly where he stands on this team. So he's trying to do the most he can do in that role. And that includes setting the tone. That includes making good decisions. That includes setting up his teammates, but also finding a way to get downhill, be assertive and, and intentful to be able to score at the rim, to open up everything else for the rest of the team. I asked Gary Harris and Jamal Murray after the game about this exact same situation, about how much pressure he takes off everybody else. And Jamal Murray was like, no, it's not that he's taking pressure off of us. It's that he is putting so much pressure on the opposing defense that everything becomes easier. Gary Harris went as far to say after the game that the Nuggets are at their best when Will Barton is at their best. And Will Barton was actually kind of taken aback. I told him that Gary said that and he was like, I don't believe that. But I, I can't, he was so appreciative of the thought process. And that was so symbolic for what Will Barton has been able to bring to this team. Yes, he's good enough to probably be a second or third option on a very, very good team. Yes, he could probably play with the ball in his hands more and try and get more shots up. Yes, he could find more ways to play his style of play. But instead of doing that, he is trying to do everything in his power to be the perfect complementary piece for this offense. He doesn't care if he's the one initiating the offense, if he's playing off the ball, if he's a defensive specialist for different points, whatever it may be. Will Barton is entirely willing to take that role on and be a star in that role. I know that that is such a cliche, just stupid phrase. I, I, it's such an important one because it is very meaningful. But to me, I don't think that like the whole idea of a star in your role, it's very cliche. But Will Barton is embodying that cliche to a point to where you can't ignore it. He has been the most consistent Nuggets player all season long on both ends of the floor. He has been the player who has opened up their offense and unlocked their defensive potential. He is the guy that allows Jamal Murray to get off ball and allows Nikola Jokic to be to take a couple offensive plays off and not be the fulcrum of the offense. He allows Gary Harris to get a defensive breather as he switches on to the opposing team's best player. He does so much for this Nuggets team and is so willing to do whatever it takes to win basketball games that that is why the Nuggets have been able to win so many of these games. Michael Malone has been hammering this idea of sacrifice. And he's talking about Michael Porter Jr., Torrey Craig, Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez. But what is not talked about enough is how 
individual players who are a part of the rotation are sacrificing parts of their game for the greater good of the team. And again, Will Barton is at the very front of players who are willingly sacrificing different parts of their game for the betterment of the team progression. And that is so important to building this better version of this team. So I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, when I take a quick break, here is my two and a half minutes with Will Barton. Gary said the best version of this team is when you are at your best. When you hear that, what do you think that means? Well, it means a lot, especially coming from him. Um, I said, basically, we, we came here together even though I came to All-Star Bridges. Okay, I guess, yeah, but, um, you know, to him to have that type of faith for me and belief in me says a lot. Um, you know, I don't know if it's true. I just try to play as hard as I can and just try to add to the team. Um, you know, I know I'm a role player on this team, this is Yoke team, and after that, Jamal. So, like I told you, I just try to come out and set a tone early and then let our guys be our guys, let our stars be our stars. How hard is it to not play mistake basketball when you're playing different roles and you're not the lead guy? Because you have the third best assist to turnover ratio on the team right now. Yeah, uh, right now I'm just playing free. Um, I know where I want to get to. I know I want to get to the rim. I'm making threes, um, playmaking. So... I'm not really worried about mistakes. I know when you're playing hard, sometimes mistakes happen. But like I always say, for the most part of my game, I feel like the good one always outweigh the bad. And when you start overthinking, that's when you really make mistakes. So when you are driving, tonight especially, you yeah. had a lot of late reads in yeah. the pick and roll. What are you thinking through? Because you said you're trying to get to the rim, but yeah. what are you seeing? So I had, if, if you look at it, I had two t early turnovers trying to get to Yoke because they're, they're kind of good at getting that late black. So I was turning it over to him. Um, so. On certain times, I gotta realize I can either drive or bring it out and post yo. But with Mace, you can throw it late because he's a lob threat. You see, I had to yeah. couple assists to him yeah. to um, get him at the rim. So it's just just about reading. Like I said, I had the two early turnovers, and from there I read it. and I didn't turn the ball over no more. So it's like just learning. Jump into Gary Harris now. Yeah. Jamal said tonight that the reason you guys have been able to shut down star players was specifically because of Gary. Definitely. Is that that's how definitely, you feel too? Definitely, definitely, definitely. What does he do differently than other defenders that allows him to be this impactful? Um, I mean, he, he has great size for his position. He's strong. He's athletic. He has great hands and instincts. Um, he, his ability to stay low, chase over screens, fight through screens, blow screens up. And then he takes pride in it. And he knows we count on him. You know, we, we count on him to be our lockdown defender, and every night he does it, whether, whether his shots are going in or not. This might be kind of random, but do you notice there's a football background when he plays defense? Yeah, I, that's crazy you said that, and I feel like that's another reason why he's such a good defender. You can see the football yeah. come out of Because he's coming across like screens like he's you know getting across the yeah, corner on see, crossing routes. You can and, see it, and that's a part of him being able to stay low. Yeah, and the quick hands. And quick hands and stuff like that. Man, I appreciate you taking that. Let's move on from Will Barton now, and let's get into Nikola Jokic's just hysterical stat line. Because when I look at this, like, I know that it's Nikola Jokic. I know he's weird. I know his stat lines don't make sense. I know he can do whatever he wants. But it's just so funny that a player as offensively gifted as a scorer as he is to only shoot eight times and have eight points. Like, this, eight, listen to this. Just listen to this stat line. Eight points. 20 rebounds, 18 of which were defensive, 5 assists, and it was a plus 10 in 25 minutes. I had to look this up because I was just so curious. He is only the second Nuggets player to ever put up 20-plus rebounds and 5-plus assists while scoring under 10 points, with Marcus Camby being the other one. For Nikola Jokic to do that is just so funny to me. Like, again, he there was nothing wrong with his game. 
I'm not out here trying to say that he should have shot more. I don't care, to be honest with you. Nikola Jokic is a much smarter basketball mind than I will ever be. So when I look at this, this is exactly what the Nuggets needed. I mean, they are they got a bunch of playmaking from guys like Will Barton and guys like, oh, wow, I did not realize that Mason Plumley had three assists and Monte Morris had five. So there was enough playmaking auxiliary around him to where they didn't have to worry about it. But it was just so funny to see that kind of a stat line, despite the fact that it makes total sense because it is Nikola Jokic. But I digress. I'm going to move on. I want to talk about something more important, which is the fact that the Nuggets bench unit finally looked awesome. And I don't say awesome, lightly. This was a unit that absolutely handled the Wizards bench. And if you take out the fourth quarter, they were even better. But still, Jeremy Grant had his best game as a member of the Denver Nuggets in this one. He had a he had a season-high 20 points, a franchise high with the Nuggets 20 points in this game. He was 7 of 13 from the field, got to the free throw line 7 times and hit 5 of them, had 4 rebounds, had an assist, also was able to get 2 steals, and was a plus 8 in 28 minutes. While that stat line is obviously very nice, the more important important part of his game, in my opinion, was where he played. Michael Malone shifted his rotations once again, except this time, he brought Jeremy Grant as the first player off the bench, and what that allowed Michael Malone to do is, one, get Paul Millsap a rest early on, and two, get Jeremy Grant in with the starting unit. Jeremy Grant, with the starters in this game, outscored the uh, Wizards by seven points in four minutes. Like, that's how good they were. It immediately just bursted through them. And when you have Jeremy Grant up there with Nikola Jokic, you have floor spacing, you have athletes, you have the ability to play fast, you have guys who can attack closeouts and break down a defense. There's just so much offensive versatility out there and an extra level of athleticism that they do not have with Paul Millsap, despite the fact that Paul Millsap, I'm pretty sure, leads the Nuggets in dunks this year. So... To see Jeremy Grant get that role and to finally play as a guy in Michael Malone's starting unit for just a small amount of time, it really showed just how good that group can be. And then, beyond Jeremy Grant, Malik Beasley had a good game. Malik Beasley and Wancho Hernan Gomez ended up playing in this game instead of Michael Porter Jr. and Torrey Craig, who, again, this whole bullpen thing that Malone is utilizing was very much so an effect in this game. Um, But Wancho was okay. I mean, one of two from the field, one of two from three overall. He had three rebounds, two assists. He did turn the ball over twice, had three points, was a plus two. Uh, Malik Beasley, though, was much better. Nine points, four rebounds, two assists in this game, had a steal, was three of five from the field, hit one of his three threes. So I thought both of them were pretty good. And I think the most important thing is not their individual production. It was the impact of having that level of off-ball shooting on the floor in the way that it opened up everything for everybody else. Because then you have Monte Morris, 4 of 9 from the field without making a 3. He was getting downhill and attacking. You have Jeremy Grant attacking and getting 7 free throws in this game. You have Mason Plumlee going 7 of 8 from the field and being able to get 7 rebounds and 3 assists. Because again, there were players who had enough room to operate to be able to have a strong game. By the time the game ended, let me count this up, uh, 45 plus 12, uh, 57 points points the Nuggets got from their bench unit in this game, and everybody except for Malik Beasley was a positive in the plus minus. So to see this Nuggets bench unit finally come alive was a very encouraging sight. It was not something that had happened throughout the game, so 
or throughout the season, I mean. So to see them finally kind of catch a rhythm was very good. And I think the biggest thing was that Monte Morris is really, really finding his his groove again. And he's the most important part of that bench unit. So if he's able to go out there, five assists, zero turnovers, four of nine shooting for 10 points, that's a huge win for the Nuggets. And I think you're going to see them find a way to get Monte Morris and Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumley, all three of them more involved together as a unit um, in terms of the the, the sets they are running in terms of having enough floor space and be able to run a high pick and roll and get Jeremy Grant the ball in the dunker spot or kick it out to him in the corner and let him attack a closeout. You were, they didn't have that ability before because there wasn't enough of an off-ball scoring threat on the floor to be able to utilize these players in the way that they have. And to see that functioning has been very good. Also something they did. Uh, I'm not going to talk about Will Barton too much more, but the Nuggets did flex Will Barton into that bench unit as well. Uh, Will Barton, first of all, played way too many minutes. Will Barton played 37 minutes in a blowout game, but still, it was because he was getting a lot of time with the bench unit, and what that did was it took pressure off of Monte Morris as being the lead ball handler, the lead guard at every waking moment of the bench unit. Having Will Barton out there just gave it a whole new wrinkle, someone else who can break down a defense and get their own shot, and that allowed Will Barton to, again, continually slice up that Wizards defense, and he had a couple just fantastic passes to Mason Plumley for a couple alley-oops and a couple you know wraparound passes in the paint that were very, very high level. So without the spacing of having Beasley and Hernan Gomez out there, I don't think the Nuggets bench would be able to do that. Let's move on to Gary Harris, because holy shit, this Gary Harris's defense right now is absolutely spectacular. He is making a very real case to be a first-team All-NBA defender this season, and I'm going to have a piece up at some point tomorrow on Thursday about Gary Harris's defense. It might take me a while to write it. Maybe it'll come out Friday morning. I'm going to try and get it out as quick as I can, but... <laughs> He's making a real name for himself as a legitimate lockdown defender. He has become a player that... I did not know he could defend at this level. He's always been a great defender. This is elite level of defending. And as you heard in my conversation with, with Will Barton, that quick little two, three minute spurt of conversation was the way that Gary Harris is defending is like a football player. I really, really... I, I've always had this idea because I played football and watching the translation of a football player moving into basketball and being able to use the skills from football in that kind of an arena. And Gary Harris has embodied that beautifully. Not only offense, where he's running post routes for Nikola Jokic to hit him full court in a you know at a dead sprint perfectly, but defensively when he is able to fight over screens it honestly looks like he's trying to create a leverage point as a receiver on a quick slant to create that little bit of room to get a burst off the line like you could see like Will Barton as he said in that little interview that I had with him his the, his ability to stay low defensively and have those quick hands, that all comes back to football, in my opinion. And I've been trying to get an opportunity to talk to Gary about it, but haven't been able to build that opportunity yet. I will eventually, but it does seem like Gary Harris's defense might come back to that football background a little bit. And also the toughness obviously comes from that as well. Uh, but Gary Harris was not just great defensively in this game, which he was. Bradley Beal, 6 of 15 from the field, 2 of 10 from 3, minus 15, had 14 points and turned the ball over four times. Overall, Gary Harris was very good on Bradley Beal. Don't get me wrong, but that was more of a team effort this time. But when you go back, Gary Harris held Luka Doncic to his lowest point total of the season. He held uh, James Harden to his second lowest point total of the season and the least amount of free throws. He was able to swallow up Damian Lillard different points. He has really been able to become 
an elite perimeter defender for guards and even some forwards, but mostly guards. So his ability to defend all of those different guys and to lock them down has been huge. And that's why you've seen me tweet this. Over and over again in the past two games, whenever Gary Harris is talking, all of a sudden you hear chants in the background from other of his teammates, players chanting, first team, first team, and just like yelling out at him. And what it means is first team all defense. That is how they view him now. And I cannot wait to write this article to kind of show how good he's been, but... Gary Harris, man, has been absolutely spectacular defensively, and this game was no different. Also, 4 of 11 doesn't seem great. Either was 1 of 6 from 3, but overall, Gary Harris was getting downhill and attacking. The floaters have kind of gone away. You're seeing him get the right kind of 3-pointers, and I just have to believe that 3-point shot will eventually come because offensively, it does feel like he's getting the right looks now, which is very important in my opinion. Uh, Denver continues to keep winning with defense. This was the second lowest point total of the season for the Wizards, who are the second ranked offense in all of basketball. They shot only 42.1% of the field, 25% from three, and they held them to one of 16 from three in the first half. And on top of that, when you out-rebound a team 58 to 36, that is going to be very, um, you know, that's, that's all defense right there. The Nuggets had 48 defensive rebounds in this game. It was absolutely awesome to watch them just eat up rebounds on the glass. On top of that, they were really able to limit their second chance points. They only had eight second chance points in this game. They only had eight fast break points. And while they had 56 points in the paint, they only shot 28 of 42. So overall, strong night for the Nuggets defense, despite the fact that there were some bad moments in the fourth quarter. But again, that's garbage time. That's Davis Bertans hitting 35-footers. I can live with that. Uh, the Nuggets' offense is really starting to improve. Uh, you're starting to see glimpses of what made this Nuggets' offense so dominant before. And in this game, you see 31 assists, which is big. 70 points in the paint. They were 35 of 55 in the paint tonight. On top of that, they're getting good and open three-point looks. They were able to take 23 free throws in this game. They had 10 offensive boards, which allowed them to get, um, I believe that Michael Malone said they had 31 points in transition and 14 points created off of offensive rebounds. Um, overall, the Nuggets just, they looked like the Nuggets. Like they, they're finally moving the ball, getting open looks, creating for each other, playing unselfishly, all of the things that made the Nuggets the Nuggets for so long. So defense is clicking as they have been all year. The offense is starting to look good again. The bench unit has finally got, you know, starting to look like the bench unit they could be. And the starters just continually keep attacking. So the Nuggets in this game, in my opinion, had their most complete game of the year, regardless of the fourth quarter, which honestly, fuck it. I don't care about how they closed the fourth quarter. They were up by 18 and Malone was frustrated, but still, this was the most complete game of the year, in my opinion. Now I want to talk about something else that might be kind of um, polarizing to a degree. I want to talk about the way Michael Malone has handled late game situations this year because he has absolutely hammered his team for how they're closing games, for the way that they're closing games, for not, you know, getting soft with success, as he likes to say. In games like this, at home, end of a homestand, you know, moving to 13-3, up by 18 with five minutes left, Malone is taking rage timeouts and getting on his guys for defensive breakdowns. I am not 
anywhere near smart enough to tell Malone that he is wrong. And I am not telling Malone that he is wrong. Malone is absolutely smart and he's done a great job with this team. But from my perspective, it is very curious. And I do wonder if this coaching style of hammering perfection and 18 point wins with five minutes left by taking rage timeouts and getting on his guys, is that going to be helpful and get them to understand what they need to fix or is that going to end up being abrasive and potentially hurt the relationships i don't have the answer but the fact that i can't say definitively does make me nervous like michael malone's calling card is his ability to be a player's coach but then you see moments like this and you have to wonder if that gets on guys nerves like will barton okay will barton was phenomenal on both ends there was no point in this game which will barton should have been shoot out and i don't think he was but the fact that will barton closed this game in a 17 point win and played 37 damn minutes against the wizards at home I don't get it. Like, why? Why does he need to play in that way? Why did Michael Porter Jr. and Torrey Craig not get a single minute in a game that was a blowout in the fourth quarter? I just don't understand that. I think that it might be a little bit um, archaic in the way that he's going about things. But again, I'm not Michael Malone. This could be a situation in which him being hard on his guys in these moments opens up so many more, um, so much more just understanding of how to be the best version of themselves. Maybe that is the case. Maybe Maybe he has such a great relationship with his players that he can be hard on them in this way. I don't have a definitive answer on this, but it does feel noteworthy that this has happened multiple times now, and I have to wonder if that's going to feel abrasive. I really do wonder that, but there is no way to get an answer to it, so that's more of just an anecdote, something to pay attention to as the season continues along. It is early in the year. Michael Malone is trying to hammer them to get good habits developed early on. Maybe he cools down later in the year, but right now, it looks like Malone is losing three years off of his life for every point that the Nuggets give away in the fourth quarter. So we'll see how that plays out, but that's where I'm at. Now for my favorite segment. Let's talk about some questions from listeners of the show that they sent in through Twitter. So like I said in the start of this podcast, I failed miserably and did not get a podcast up last game. So I am going to answer one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different questions that came in from last game that just overall fit into what is happening with this Nuggets team. I want to kind of just get a little bit more into that. So let's dive in. Josh Steele asks, is it wasting Michael Porter Jr.'s talent not getting him enough playing time to learn and work through things this year it is early but it feels like it's on its way to a wasted year this is a really hard thing to quantify because on one hand the nuggets will not just give michael malone minutes they refuse to just allow someone to come in and and he's not demanding but the narrative to demand that he deserves minutes like you know fans chanting his name in the fourth quarter and things like that that will not skew michael malone's way of going about this he will make him earn every minute he gets which that part is very much so up for discussion. The qu- the question becomes, are you making a play to make him the best possible player five years from now? Or are you hurting his confidence so much in his first real year that he may not become that player? I don't have the answer to that. Those are the farthest ends of the spectrum, too. The idea that there's no middle ground there is a farce. There absolutely is a real idea that... Michael Porter Jr. learns from these moments and all of a sudden there's an injury that happens and he's playing 25 minutes a night and all of a sudden he becomes the guy 
slowly but surely that we expect him to be. There is a very real scenario that there is a, a middle ground here, but right now, we have to look at it from each side of the spectrum. Is this going to make the best possible Michael Porter Jr., or is this going to kill his confidence now to where it takes even longer to get there? It seems like Michael Malone believes in his abilities as a head coach and in terms of being able to connect with his players to do things this way. And I am, again, not one to tell Michael Malone he shouldn't, because Michael Malone has already been a big part of developing the best young core in the NBA. So I'm giving Michael Malone the benefit of the doubt here. I do think that Michael Porter Jr. absolutely should have played the end of this game. You're up by 18. Play him. Like I don't get why he doesn't play in games like this. Uh, but again, I'm not on the bench. I'm not hearing what Malone's doing. So it's not my place to just question him in every single regard of what he does. So I do think that you'll see more Michael Porter Jr. as the year goes along, as the Nuggets start to rest guys more and things like that. But I don't think this is going to be a wasted year. And I do think it's good to make him earn it. How much he has to earn it is up for debate. But making him earn these minutes are very important. Uh, to follow up on that, JB Denver Sport asks, do you think some G League time would be beneficial to build his confidence? Again, this is a two-sided coin. It seems very easy when you say, Michael Porter Jr. beating people up in the G League will lead to his confidence building. But think about it in this way. Imagine you get a text from Michael Malone, like, hey, next time when you come into the, into the office in the morning, make sure to come by my office so we can talk. And then imagine sitting down and Michael Porter Jr. looking at, or, and Michael Malone looking at you dead in the eye and saying, Michael Porter Jr., we're sending you to the G League. That is going to feel like a demotion. That is going to feel like he does not belong with this Nuggets team. That is going to feel like he is not good enough to be at this level. So sure, maybe it could build his confidence, but for a player who is already a freakishly talented player, someone who is far too talented for the G League, to be demoted, I think that could hurt his confidence more than he could gain from the play that he would get in the G League. So again, that's up for debate. That's uh, much more of a you know perspective of mine, but we'll see what happens. Uh, Floater God Nikola Jokic asks, do you think Gary's low scoring total is just due to Paul and Will getting their own shots now? I don't feel like there are many shots for Gary and that he is a fifth option. I think there's two things here. One, Gary Harris is not confident in his shots. There's not as many of them going up. Two, that man is tackling the most difficult defensive matchups every single night against just a ridiculous guard play in the Western Conference over and over and over again. The amount of effort that it takes to defend that caliber of player, the caliber of player of Damian Lillard, Luka Doncic, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, whoever it may be, every single night is going to take away from how much you can contribute to the offensive end of the floor. So I do think there's a part of that. Gary Harris is playing more like a defensive specialist this year than a well-rounded second or third option. Um, the other part of it is what I said before. I don't think he's confident in his shot right now. And maybe once a few of them start to fall and he starts getting downhill more and he's not worrying about his body, which I do feel like all these floaters he's taking is something to do with all the lower body injuries he has had <coughs> throughout the years past. But if those shots start to fall, maybe he, maybe he can get, him, get, get himself back into the player he was two years ago. But as of right now, being a fifth option offensively and being a lockdown defender is arguably a more important role for him to fill than to be the offensive player he was two years ago. It'd be great if he was the offensive player he was two years ago, but it's not required, in my opinion, for this Nuggets team to be at their best. Uh, Doris Burke is the GOAT, friend of the show, asks, Have you seen a better shot selection from Jamal Murray? Yes unequivocally, absolutely, factually, yes. Jamal Murray 
after talking with Michael Malone about his shot selection in that Memphis game that you mentioned, has revolutionized his shot selection. I feel like his mid range. I need to go back and look. I should have looked before I do it. I did this. I'm sorry. I don't have these stats in front of me, but it feels like Jamal Murray's mid range looks have gone down by half, and I'm pretty sure he's taking four more threes per game since that Memphis game, and that's huge in my opinion to getting the most out of this Nuggets offense. Um, he did not take enough threes in this game. He was 0 of 2 from the field, but he did get to the rim seemingly at will. He had Isaiah Thomas on him for most of the night, so he was able just to go right by him. So that doesn't bother me, but overall, Jamal Murray's shot selection, I have been so happy with, and I have no issues with. So, congratulations, Jamal Murray, I guess. I don't know how else to say this, but this is the best version of Jamal Murray so far, and I hope that he continues this trajectory going forward. Uh, numbers on Twitter with two with two U's <laughs> asks, does Malik Beasley continue to get more minutes? Yes, I think that I think right now it's becoming glaringly obvious what his shot brings to the Nuggets bench unit. On the other hand, his defense is absolutely a disaster more often than it's not. But it was just so clear what his shot making brings to that Nuggets bench unit. So whether or not he'll stick in that unit or Malone will you know, continue doing this whole bullpen thing is up for debate. But I do think Malik Beasley is much more involved in this rotation going forward. Uh, AD on Twitter asks, is Katie Wingy an amazing commentator or is it just me? Seriously, Nuggets fans, do not take Katie Wingy for granted. Not only is she incredibly intelligent when it comes to basketball, but she played the game. She's hysterical. She is multifaceted. And do not take her for granted because some national outlet is going to scoop her up. She is so damn good at what she does. And you are absolutely right. She is an amazing commentator. Her Twitter profile is hysterical. Her on-camera work is awesome. Her ability to do podcasts and an interview is great. So... Again, don't take her for granted. Enjoy having Katie Wingy as a part of this Denver Nuggets media for as long as you can until she gets a great offer to go to something national or regional elsewhere because that is going to come sooner rather than later because she is that damn good. Uh, Paul Graham, uh, is there a Bull Bull update? So, Mike Singer actually reported this. Um, I can also confirm his reporting. He said that Bull Bull is not going to go back out of the G League for a couple weeks. He is not going to play while he's here with the Denver Nuggets. And really what it was... And this is what uh, a source told me about Bol Bol was that they had always planned to send him down to the G League for a week or two just to see how it plays out, just to see how he handles the physicality, to see how he handles being in the G League in general and being sent away to Windy City, um, and just kind of see how he can handle it mentally, physically, and as a professional. And overall, it seems like the Nuggets were very impressed with how he handled it. I had been told Bol Bol enjoyed being in Windy City. I have heard that him and PJ Dozier have hit it off pretty well, who is also playing for the Windy City Bulls as well as Bull Bull before getting called back up and it was always the plan to bring him back to Denver before the holidays to allow him to kind of get acclimated be around people he's comfortable with and all those kinds of things so this was always the plan. I do not think Bol Bol will play for the Nuggets until you start talking about the new year. I don't think he'll get actual garbage time minutes until then. The Nuggets doctors want to make sure he's 100% healthy and he can handle the physicality of the game, which is why he got his week and a half, two weeks in the G League before coming right back to rest up and work with trainers. So that's the idea of where they're at, and that's what you can um, can you know expect going forward. Last question. Hunter McHugh, do you think Gary Harris will make an all-defense team this year? If Gary Harris continues to play like this and the Nuggets continue to have a top five defense, Gary Harris will be a first team all defense player. Full stop, end of conversation. So, 
Looking forward now, the Nuggets went 4-0 on their homestand. That's actually one more win than I thought they were going to get. But now things are going to get very, very real for this Nuggets team. They have to play five of their next six games on the road. And their only home game is at home against the Western Conference leading Los Angeles Lakers, who seemingly cannot be beat right now. So here's the next five games, or six games. At Sacramento on Saturday, I think that'll be a win at home against the Lakers, and then I think the Nuggets will beat the Lakers. They are going to be jacked up for that game, likely coming off a seven-game win streak and back home with some rest. That Nuggets team could have an opportunity to beat the Lakers. That'll be their opportunity for a statement win. Here's where it gets interesting. The Nuggets then go to the Knicks, and they have a night off in New York. If the Nuggets beat the Lakers and are on an eight-game winning streak at that point, the Nuggets are going to lose to the Knicks after having a night out in New York. That is going to be the biggest, that's the trappiest of trap games that you can trap. Like, that is the trap game right there. So then I do think, so if the Nuggets beat the or beat the Lakers, I think they lose to the Knicks, and then they'll bounce back and finish out 2-1 and or 3-0 and against the last three teams, which is at Boston, at Brooklyn, at Philly. Um, I think they lose one of the Boston or Philly games. That's kind of where I'm at. So I do think the Nuggets will end up going probably 4-2 and on these on this six-game uh, stretch of games coming up with five of them being on the road. And if they, can, if they only lose two of those games, that's a win. And if the Nuggets m- manage to get five, Five wins out of that we gotta really start looking at this nuggets team as the contender that they are that's it though thank you for sitting through another long podcast as i ramble on thank you for supporting this podcast and sharing it on social media thank you for all the reviews and five star ratings thank you for all the comments and compliments you guys are the best so thank you for listening there'll be more podcasts coming and we will talk to you later enjoy thanksgiving and have a great rest of your day